The reading is from Second Chronicles chapter 7, and that can be found, you may not be too familiar with where Second Chronicles is, so that can be found on page 442 of the Church Bible and page uh, 660 in the large print Bible. So the, the setting for this is the dedication uh, of the Solomon's Temple. So we're beginning at verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. And this is the verse that I want to speak on. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple, so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. This is the word of the Lord. Even if, like me, your history, your 20th century history is a bit hazy, the, uh, the recent films Darkest Hour and Dunkirk will have brought into sharp focus the perilous uh, state of our nation in May of 1940. The British Army outmaneuvered and unprepared, along with the soldiers of other allied nations, found themselves with their backs to the sea and hemmed in by their enemies. The German high command was able to boast with confidence that its troops were proceeding to annihilate the British army. And on May the 23rd, King George VI requested that the following Sunday should be observed as a national day of prayer. He urged the nation to turn to God. And on that Sunday, the nation did devote itself to prayer in an unprecedented way. And eyewitnesses and photographs confirm overflowing congregations in places of worship and long queues formed outside cathedrals. That's a rather poor image, but it gives some feeling. That's outside Westminster Abbey, people queuing to get in to pray. So quite a, it really uh, made quite an impact on me, that photograph. And so, as history tells us, a military catastrophe was avoided, and June the 9th was declared a national day of thanksgiving, and the phrase, the miracle of Dunkirk, began to circulate. 
I think it's a tendency when you get a little older that you tend to see the past through rose-tinted spectacles and you glamorize the past and you uh, equally uh, regard the future as being completely lost and uh, the present as being lost. And I'm sure it's all too easy to overstate the degree to which this was a Christian country in the early part of the first half of the, the 20th century. And it's equally uh, easy to overstate that all that is lost, that it's gone, and that we're, we're finished. I think it's possible to overstate both cases, but there has undoubtedly been a significant shift. This is increasingly a secular country. I don't think many would argue with that. We don't really know whether Joe Johnson's, and no one knows, whether Joe Johnson's resignation statement will prove to be accurate. He said on Friday that we're, Britain is on the brink of the greatest crisis since the Second World War. I don't think for one moment that we can compare the position that we're in now to that of May 1940. But I think both Leavers and Remainers agree that we're in a mess. It's a mess that I cannot remember in my lifetime. We live in unsettling times, politically and economically, and all of this taking, taking place in the context of increasing social issues for which, which seem insoluble. So we remember today those who fought and died for our wonderful country. Lives lost in the service of our country, lives lost to maintain our freedom. Yet the very fabric of the society in which they fought so hard for seems to be disintegrating. One of the features of biblical faith, both Old Testament and New, is that God in love and grace acts to save, acts in history with great acts of salvation to rescue us, and then in the light of that invites us to respond and enter into relationship and enjoy the freedom in which, to which he, he offers. He invites us to respond in gratitude to what he has already done. A common theme throughout the Bible. So we're all familiar with that story of, of uh, Moses receiving the tablets of stone. It's, such, it's so well known. So Moses goes up the mountain and receives the tablets. So God said to him, take these back down to your people, but this is what I want. You don't just give them to the people, tell them. This is what you're to tell them before you give them. Remind them how I, as their God, brought them. And he uses this beautiful phrase, I carried them on eagles' wings and brought them to myself. I miraculously delivered them from Egypt. Now I want to instruct these delivered people how to live in such a way that they will enjoy and maintain the freedom which I have accomplished for them. And then he said, 
to Moses and, and, and part of what he was to say to the people when he went back down to talk to them. If you obey me fully, you will be my treasured possession. If you obey me fully, you will be my treasured possession. The in if. The invitation to a life of harmony with their creator, harmony with creation, harmony with their neighbor, what the Bible, what the Old Testament speaks of as shalom, demanded a response from the people. Even though it was God's initiative, the people had to respond. But that was the problem. They forgot the if and they gradually and so often thought, it, thought of it as their divine right, regardless of how they lived. And we move forward to this later time, the setting of today's reading, the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem, a place where the Creator God in some very real sense would be present right there in the community of His people. What in, in, in Celtic uh, spirituality we think of as a thin place, the place where God's domain, heaven, intersects with earth. God present in his people. What remarkable. And so at the dedication of the temple, God says, if my people who, again, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Hear, forgive, and heal. A wayward people, a people like me who get it wrong a lot of the time. They forgot God so often. And they thought they could just live as they please and somehow still enjoy the benefit of being free. They forgot the word if. If you hear, if you turn back to me, I will hear, I will forgive, and I will heal. And I'm right there in your midst, in the temple. When the Apostle Paul, a devout Jew, encountered the risen Jesus, he came to realize that Jesus had achieved much more on the cross, infinitely more on the cross in his death and resurrection that was ever possible by that miraculous deliverance out of Egypt. This, this, the, the benefit was for the whole world, not just for the people, Jewish people. In its scope, it was, it was in, in impacting on the entire cosmos, as, as uh, Peter spoke to us a few weeks ago. God, again, acting in human history, but this time in a once and for all victory over the powers of darkness. The ultimate, ultimate act of self-giving love, Jesus on the cross. But just as of old, we're invited 
and we have to respond to God's saving act. And just in the context of what we're talking about today, or what we've been thinking of in the state of our nation, as a people of faith, what are we to do in the midst of the crisis that we find our country in? I think, and I didn't look this up because it just came into my mind this morning, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said that the problems of the world could be summed up in one word, me. It starts with me. In a few moments, we will share in this holy meal. And as we, will do, as we do so, we will remember Jesus offering himself on the cross. We will rejoice at his resurrection and we look forward to his coming kingdom. He invites us to the table but it requires more than the physical effort of, of, of getting out of our seat and walking to the front and receiving and eating and drinking and returning to our seat. And perhaps that's why there's, in the liturgy there's what we call a preparation. Because it is internal before it is external or perhaps during. It requires a response. It starts from within. If we confess our sins, these are amazing promises. He is able and faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If in every case, throughout the scripture, it requires this response. It's not forced on us, it's if. And so today as we remember those even in this parish, the names are here, who gave their lives for this country, we cry out to God for our nation. We cry out for them. We do not ask God to turn the clock back. We, we ask God to do something new. We need a new outpouring of his spirit. I don't know what that would look like, but I know there would be some characteristics in it. So let's pray for our nation. And as we come to communion, we're each invited. This is, this is the starting point. As each of us come forward, we're invited to respond to the voice of God, to listen and respond. If, if you humble yourselves, pray, listen to his voice. I'm trying to get better at that and I'm not very good at it. Listen. We always want to be busy. Listen, pray, turn from wrong. And let's just pause and just take this in and receive it. The promise of God. I will hear. I will forgive. 
and I will heal. We need that. We need it as individuals, and we need it as a nation. May God help us to hear his voice.